0: If you have a Bible, go ahead and take it and turn to the book of Acts. You can just go to Acts chapter 1. Last week was a little different in that we kind of were in a few different texts. And um, this week will be kind of the same. Uh, I don't typically like to do that, and yet just kind of some different occasions have led us to do that. Uh, So we'll be in Acts 1, 2, and All of Acts, to a certain extent. Uh, Maybe that was scary to you when you looked at your notes that the text was the book of Acts. Uh, Don't worry, we won't cover the whole thing. My wife and I have a subscription to Christianity Today. I don't know if you know this magazine, Christianity Today, it's been around for a while. And I was uh, I was looking at it the other day, and I was actually just kind of thumbing through the back. In the back section, there's all these advertisements for Christian colleges and universities and uh, seminaries, and they're trying to attract people to come to the university. And I started to notice a, a theme. See if you can pick up on this theme. Here's some of the taglines that are in this magazine. I won't give you the names of the schools. I'm not saying anything negative about the schools, just kind of this, this theme. Um, this one right on the back says, Engaging the Culture, Changing the World changing the world. Uh if you keep going I'm going backwards through the magazine now cuz all the ads are here at the back. Um, here's one and it says preparing students to impact the world for Christ since 1883. Uh, this college says we believe God has big plans for you. Um, there's some more here. This is just one issue, you know. Uh be challenged to excel is is one here. Uh I like this one. Shape your life to shape the world, and then it says someone's going to shape the world. Why not you? Yeah. Um, here's one. Start here. Impact the world. Are you getting the theme here? This kind of change the world theme. And and I've got uh, one more. It just says right here, big letters, world changers. <laughs> and then at the bottom, change your life, change the world. We could write these, couldn't we? Uh, it's pretty interesting, isn't it? I mean, that's just one issue, and I don't think they're doing it on purpose, stealing each other's slogans or anything. But I think it, it speaks to this idea that we all have this desire to be a part of something bigger than us, be a part of something great. Uh, we saw all the red around Louisville yesterday. Uh, everyone was cheering for the Cardinals, and everyone was wearing their their Cardinal gear, except for some, the UK fans, I won't mention names. Um but but there was this this desire to, in a sense, be a part of something great. That hey, we're a part. It's it's this team of of just a few individuals, but but we're a part of this. This is, you know, we're we're a part of the the, the Louisville Cardinals. Um, I'm a Cubs fan, which is a terrible thing to be because they lose all the time. But I'm also a Browns fan and a Cleveland Indians fan. So I just you know it's my lot in life. But they call Cubs fans they call Cubs fans Cubs Nation. Uh, because they're spread all around. It's Cubs Nation that we're a part of something great. And so when you meet another Cub fan, you have someone you know to commiserate with and and talk about how terrible life is. You know, being a Cubs fan. But but there's this you know this this concept. We want to be a part of something bigger than us, and we do want to change the world. I mean, I don't. No one wakes up in their life and says, you know, I just want to kind of not do anything great. I, we want our lives to influence, to impact the world. We want our lives to be more about just more than than about just surviving, right? I think that's true. Of course, maybe that's just for youth who are heading off to college that think they can change the world. You know, the rest of us, real life is kind of hit. And maybe you're just happy to change your clothes every day or something like that. The youthful optimism wears off. Reality sets in, and life is crowded out. All these visions of grandeur that maybe you once had. Uh, for others, we may want to do something great, uh, but instead of changing the world, what you have to focus on is changing diapers. Because that's what's in front of you. That's, that's what you have to do. And others maybe could care less about changing the world. You just want to come home and sit on the couch and change the channel. Be in charge of that. But surely all of us at one point thought, let's change the world. We can be a part of something great. And, and yet we become discouraged or confused or distracted, we forget things. And if that confusion and distraction and disillusionment and and lack of remembering can happen in the life of an individual, couldn't it happen in the life of a church or of the church at large to forget that maybe we are a part of something greater or to think that maybe we're not a part of something great? It, It was last year around this time that we gathered some of us on a Saturday and we went down into the basement of Beachwood Baptist Church where we had met for some seven years, and we started to clean the different spaces where we had met. Maybe you can go for those of you that were there, you can go back in your mind and think about the basement there at Beechwood, and, and remember that we were there. We loaded up all our stuff uh, in, in the U-Haul that Ken had driven over. And then the next Sunday... It rained like crazy, uh, and Sunday school, you remember Sunday school got replaced with a bailing out party, and we stood outside the ramp because the water was just coming right down in uh, with trash cans. We were bailing out, which was just a fitting way to leave Beachwood, wasn't it, uh, to bail out the water. And that morning in the service, we, we started to talk about, what's this, what's this look like? What? Why are we leaving? What is the purpose of this? And we looked at John 12. We talked about Jesus' hour, this hour of glorification, uh, when he was com- talking about his hour, his sacrificial death. And we looked at these words. These were the words in John 12 we looked at. Maybe you remember this. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies... It bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. And and as we prepared to leave the basement of Beechwood Baptist Church and embark on this new adventure at Bardstown Road, we started to think about why. What is the purpose? Why are we moving? What's our motivation? And we said "It's, it's for the glory of God. As for the glory of God. It's so that, that we could come. We, we came a year ago to bring glory to God by laying down our lives to see people come to know Christ and to grow in him. We came here to die. We came here to be a grain of wheat that falls into the ground and as a result of dying bears eternal fruit. We came to joyfully give up our lives for the fame and the glory of God in this area and around the world. And so here we are one year later. Pretty much almost to the day of our first time in here. It was April 8th, was our Easter service, and today is April seventh. And so I feel compelled to ask, have we done that? I feel compelled to also just to remind myself why are we here as a church? What what is our purpose? Not simply as Grace Fellowship Church, but as the church as a whole. What are we what are we a part of as a church? Because if you're like me, it's easy just to kind of get distracted, or to lose focus, or to forget that the most important things are the easiest to forget. You know, we've all had that experience where you you go into a room and you know why you're going into that room until you cross the threshold, um, or you 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 run upstairs to take care of something and you get to the top of your of the stairs and you say, "Now, why am I up here? <laughs> what did I come up here for?" We've all experienced that, and I think in life sometimes that happens. That that we just Maybe in the church in general, that you walk in the door and maybe you say, now, why Why are we here? Why do I come here every Sunday? What's the purpose of all this? Or maybe just your life in general. You pause and you say, what am I doing? Well, I feel like I've lost focus, that I'm just kind of floating around. And so this morning what I, I want us to do is is to just refocus to remember, to think about what we are a part of, to think about the mission of the church. Because the mission of the church is the most important thing in all the world. What, what, what is the purpose for which the world was created? It's for the glory of God. And what is the purpose of the church? It is to bring glory to God. And so I start with these thoughts about changing the world, because if you want to be part of something great, if you want to be part of something that changes the world, this is the place to be. Anywhere else in Louisville you could go to, but the church is the place that is a part of doing what the world was created for. All the world was created to give glory to God, and the church gathers together to say, let's give glory to God and call people into this task of giving glory to God, of honoring him for who he is. So if you want to be a part of something great, this is the place to be. So if you're you're a youth, if you're young and you say, I do want to be a, a world changer, You're in the right place. And if you've grown disillusioned or you think, I can't do anything to change the world, I just want to say, you're in the right place because this is the place where we change the world. Here's how I want to say it today. There's a hundred different ways to say it. It's in your bulletin and your notes because it's a little long. But I want to say this, Grace Fellowship Church, we exist. We exist so that that for the glory of God and by the power of God, we might take the life-changing good news of Jesus to the whole world. This is why we exist as a church individual and as a church at large. We exist so that for the glory of God and by the power of God, we might take the life-changing good news of Jesus to the entire world. Last week was Easter Sunday. And when Jesus rose from the dead, after he convinced his disciples that he actually had risen from the dead, it took a little bit of convincing that, yes, this is really me. After he had convinced them of that, he called them, To a mountain. He said, Come up to this mountain. It was after 40 days, and he called them to the mountain, and he gave them their mission. He gave them their reason for living. He gave them uh, the means by which they would turn the world upside down. We know these verses that we read in Matthew 28 well, don't we? Jesus says, Go therefore, or as you go, and what are we supposed to do? Make Disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And lo, that's the old King James, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This is the mission that Christ gave the apostles up on that mountaintop. It's the same here in Acts. If you're in Acts chapter 1, let's just read what Acts has happened here. Uh, Acts 1, beginning right at the beginning in verse 1, it says, In the first book, O Theophilus, now Theophilus should sound familiar. We've been studying through Luke. This is the second part, you might say, part two of Luke, Luke Acts. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during forty days And speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Talk about a cliffhanger. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So after again Jesus has convinced them, he he departs. He, He goes to the Father and he tells them to stay. He says, very clearly, he says here, stay in jerusalem don't don't leave jerusalem because something is going to happen i don't think he said it once i think he said it a few times stay in jerusalem because not many days from now the holy spirit is going to come something amazing is going to happen and then as they gathered for the last time here on on earth before jesus ascends into heaven they gather together and jesus brings up the holy spirit again doesn't he They ask, are you going to restore the kingdom now? They're still waiting for him to establish this earthly kingdom. And he says, it's not now, and don't worry about when it's going to happen. Know this, though. You're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. The Holy Spirit's going to come, and you're going to be filled with an amazing power. Why? Because I have a God-sized task ahead of you, and you need God indwelling you in order to accomplish it. And what's the task? You're going to be my witnesses. You're going to witness to what I, to who I was and who I am and to what I called you to do. You're going to tell other people about who I am. You'll be my witnesses here in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the very earth. So Jesus says, he says, wait, don't leave Jerusalem because soon the Holy Spirit is going to come. He's going to fill you and he's going to fill you with power. And I'm I'm giving you the Holy Spirit so that you can accomplish this amazing mission that I have for you. And here's the mission. You're going to be witnesses of who I am here in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and, and all over the world. So they waited. They waited in Jerusalem after Jesus had ascended. Verse 14 tells us that all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Verse 15 tells us it was about 120 of them. And here they are. They're in the upper room. They're together in one accord, loving one another, praying with one another, waiting, waiting, waiting. And then in chapter 2 we find them again. In the upper room gathered on the day of pentecost it says when the day of pentecost arrived they were all together in one place now the day of pentecost is is 50 days after the first day of passover and you remember jesus was arrested during the feast of passover and and luke tells us here in acts that he appeared for how many days 40 days so when he says the holy spirit's going to come on you not many days from now he was telling the truth Because this is at most maybe ten days, probably maybe less than a week after Jesus ascends, that they're gathered here. And they're here on the day of Pentecost, and they're all in one place. Now, you've read these words before, but just try to read them maybe with new eyes. Verse 2. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them, And rested on each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Can you imagine that scene? What that would have been like? I I don't even know that we would have known what to think. And in fact, as they step out onto the streets of Jerusalem, no one knows what to think. They say, "What is going on here?" And some say, "Well, they must be drunk because this is crazy. They're, They're acting crazy. What? What in the world is?" is going on until Peter steps to the front, and with boldness and courage he witnesses to Jesus, just as Jesus told him he would do. In Jerusalem he witnesses to who Jesus was, and he tells them, he says, Jesus was the Messiah, and he proved his deity, he proved it by his spotless life, and he proved it by his mighty signs and wonders, this was the Messiah. He was the promised Savior of Israel and of the world. And then he tells them that you you all murdered him. You killed him, and some there were probably there in the crowd that yelled, crucify him. He says, he was here as the Savior, but you killed him. You murdered him, but God raised him up. From the dead, And now he has ascended up into heaven to be with the Father. And, and everything that you're seeing, all this confusion that, that, that you're seeing right now and all these miraculous things, this is a sign. This shows you that the Holy Spirit has come. It shows you that Jesus was who he said he was. And that we are filled with the Holy Spirit, just as the Old Testament promised, just as Jesus said would come about. And then something even more amazing happens. Pick it up in verse 37 after Peter's sermon. I'd encourage you to read the sermon even this afternoon. But after the sermon, it says this in verse 37 of chapter 2. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter said to them, Repent. And be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off every one whom the Lord our God calls to himself and with many other words he bore witness bore witness and continued to exhort them saying save yourselves from this crooked generation so those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3000 souls. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This group of, of 120 people, they'd been devoted to each other. They'd been devoted to, to prayer. After they receive the Holy Spirit and they, they witness with, with bold, this bold proclamation of who Jesus was, imagine Peter standing there and saying, you murdered the Messiah, that's boldness. He says it very clearly. And instead of rising up against them, what happens? The Holy Spirit comes and pricks their heart. They're pricked in the heart, and what do they say? They don't say, Let's kill him. Peter, they say, What should we do to be saved? He says, Repent. Be baptized, every one of you. And and, and they are they that it says three thousand souls are added, and then and then they, they just gather together and they start to break bread together and they, they love one another and they, they sell everything that they have and they share all of their need This is amazing, this is a miracle. What's going on here? And it says later on in chapter three, Peter and John they go to the temple at the hour of prayer and, and a man a lame man is is healed. And, and Peter seizes the opportunity again, and he says, you know why this guy was healed? He was healed by Jesus. Let me tell you about who Jesus is. And it says there at the end of, of um, it says uh, chapter 4, verse 4, that many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. So now I don't know if that's 5,000 more. Or if it's if it's the number combined comes to about five thousand, but whatever's going on, thousands of people are coming to believe in Jesus. Something amazing is is happening, but there's opposition too. In these early chapters, we see opposition that that um, they they are arrested for for preaching about Jesus. There's opposition from without in this arrest, and and they're put in prison. There's opposition from within. Uh, you remember. Um, Ananias and Sapphira, they lie to the Holy Spirit and they start, there's a potential for division within the church because of that. Not only that, but in Acts chapter 6, it talks about this dispute within the church between the Hellenists and the the Hebrews, the widows. They thought they were being neglected, and so there's this this point of contention. And yet, in the midst of all this, with with pressure from without and pressure from within, God continues to to do this work. They continue to submit to the Lord in prayer, to submit to the Holy Spirit. They continue to love one another. They put that at, at the forefront, loving one another and being led by the Spirit. They keep the gospel central. And God changes the world through them. And the gospel spreads from Jerusalem. And not just witnesses in Jerusalem, but the book of Acts traces. that It goes from Judea. It goes to Samaria. And it goes all the way to the ends of the earth. It goes all the way to Rome. The gospel just spreads like wildfire. It's amazing. And all of this happens through this small group of ordinary men and women. And this is what the religious leaders say. They couldn't believe it. Chapter 4 Uh, Verse 13, it says, now, when they saw, these are the religious leaders, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. What a great statement. They were uneducated common men, but they had been with Jesus, these ordinary people. Ordinary folks gathered in, in an upper room praying, filled with the Holy Spirit, and they just changed the world. So what's the point of all this? <laughs> Why am I talking about changing the world? Why are we jumping all around the book of Acts? Why are we doing this on the day that we're reflecting about moving into this space? I, I don't really know totally, <laughs> but I just want us to get this picture, to remember that we're a part of something amazing. We are a part of something that has changed the world and that that is continuing to change the world and that is the only hope for the world. I want us to remember a few things. So let me just say a few things to remember from, from these thoughts. I want us to, to remember our, our foolishness and our weakness. It's clear here. They say these are uneducated common men. They were, they were just normal people—fishermen, common folks—and they were up in this upper room. And and I just can't help but say, here we sit in an upper room, <laughs> a small group, not even a hundred and twenty of just common people. We're just regular, everyday people. We we are we are not anything special. Now I'm not making fun of you in saying that. I mean, Paul says it in First Corinthians. He says, "Look around." He tells them in the church, "Look around." There's not a whole lot of educated people. The, the high class of Louisville doesn't come to grace fellowship church the celebrities of louisville are not here the celebrities of the world don't show up in church typically we are common everyday people and and I am a common i would i would place myself in this uneducated common man that I, that's the kind of pastor I am i maybe you're not supposed to admit this but I really have no idea what I'm doing uh, I, I'm trying as hard as I can by God's spirit to do. Uh, to be a pastor that that honors God, that honors the gospel. But I, I make mistakes all the time. Let me give you, a for instance. <laughs> I, I've been for for a while. We we've had a transition in our church where we've we've lost a lot of leaders, haven't we? A lot of people have moved, and I don't want to make. Uh, and Rebecca, y'all have moved, and it's it's God's leading, and it's a blessing. But that's been that's been hard, and so uh, there's more tasks that show up, and and I've just kind of said, well, I'll do them. Now, if you if you said, Andy, do you understand the concept of a deacon? I would say, yeah, I totally get what deacons are. Deacons are supposed to help the the elders in the work of the ministry, so they're not doing things like administration. Here in Acts six, we find that that when they were distributing food to ta- to the to the widows, that the apostle said, we need to be devoted to the word of God and to prayer. Not that we're above this, but rather that we need to focus on what's most important. I would say I knew that. I'm not sure what, I haven't been practicing it. I've just been doing everything. I talked to Joel, and I started saying, we really need to figure out this deacon stuff, and we got to get these in place because this is not right, and I'm not, doing, I'm not serving the church. Well, he brought up uh, very wisely for me Moses when Jethro, his father-in-law, comes and He says, Moses, this is not smart. You can't be doing all this. And I went home, and I told my wife, I said, you know, I feel like I've been thinking for a long time that, that I'm holding back Grace Fellowship Church because of my inability and I said, it's not that. It's I'm holding back Grace Fellowship Church because I'm trying to do everything. And God has been really working in my heart to say, we got to make this deacon thing a priority because this isn't something that I can handle myself. I've been encouraged by people just saying, hey, will you take this? Things like, hey, Jed, will you teach for me? Uh, I've got uh, Joshua and Hannah and, and John come and help set up in the morning, just trying to start giving things away, saying, hey, I can't do all this, and that's that's okay. But I I, reckon, I knew that. I just wasn't doing it. And I'm not doing it perfect still. And we're just we're just common folks. We're going to make mistakes. We're not going to do this perfect. And the early church faced all this same stuff. They were just normal people with, with normal lives. And they didn't know what they were doing. They're up in this upper room praying together. Did they know that the Holy Spirit was going to come? Did they know that 3,000 people were going to show up and say, we want to follow Jesus with you? They didn't know what to do necessarily. But God did it through them. And so in the midst of remembering our foolishness and weakness, I also want us to remember the power of the Holy Spirit. Remember the power of the Holy Spirit. The the book of Acts is called the Acts of the Apostles. If you look at above Acts chapter 1 in your Bible, it probably says that. It's not Acts. It's the Acts of the Apostles. These are the things that the Apostles did in the early church. But someone has rightly said that the book could actually be called the Acts of the Holy Spirit. That the apostles were doing things, but how were they doing it? They were doing it in the power of the Holy Spirit. And and Acts shows all over the place that the Holy Spirit was doing amazing things. In fact, we could say that not just the, the book of Acts, but the entire history of the church is the acts of the Holy Spirit. Anything amazing that has happened is not because men did it. It's not because churches did it. It's because the Holy Spirit did it. He did it through these individuals. And the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2 that shows up in a rushing wind and tongues of fire is the same Holy Spirit that lives and dwells inside each of us if we put our faith in Jesus. You ever think about that? Now, granted, this was a unique time period. There were some wild things happening. And yet at the same time, it's the same Holy Spirit with the same power. I'm not saying that we're going to walk downstairs after church today and that 3,000 people are going to come to Christ. But I want us to believe that it could happen. I want us to believe that this small group, if we're devoted to the Spirit, if we're yielded to the Spirit, that he certainly could do that. Is anything too hard for the Lord? No. Do we believe that? Remember, the Holy Spirit is powerful. Remember what he does here in the book of Acts through common, everyday people. So remember, we've got to remember our foolishness and weakness, but we've got to remember the power of the Holy Spirit, and then coupled right with that, remember the power of prayer. Everything that happens in the book of Acts is saturated with prayer. They are always praying, constantly praying. Any big decision that goes on, when when Paul and Barnabas are are called out, what was going on? They were fasting and praying. In the early days, they devoted themselves to, To prayer, it says. After they're arrested, it says they all get together and they pray. They're just praying. They're asking God to do the work amongst them. They are they're submitting themselves to God and to his power. And if we lack power as individuals or as a church, it's not because God lacks power. It's because we're not yielding to him and letting him work through us, through his spirit and through the the power of prayer. So I, I want us to remember the power of prayer. I want us to remember the life-changing message of the gospel. That people, people's lives were turned upside down. The people who had some 50 days earlier yelled for Jesus to be crucified were transformed. And said, we believe he's the Messiah. That's a miracle. Not only that, but the gospel then brings them together. People who were probably opposed to one another, who maybe didn't really like each other a whole lot. And it brings them together. And then the book of Acts, as the gospel goes to the Gentiles, and the Jews say, hey, I don't know about this whole thing, with the Gentiles coming in, that the Holy Spirit comes and teaches them, and, and they come together in unity. And the gospel continues to spread. Remember the life-changing message of the gospel, and remember the worldwide reach of the gospel. The gospel goes to all people, to all nations. Not, it doesn't just stick around in Jerusalem. It's not just some private club. It spreads all over because all people are in need of the gospel and the gospel is open to all. It goes to the nations to everyone who will believe. And we start, we see that with with Cornelius. We see that uh, with the Ethiopian eunuch. And then we start to see it as Paul shows up in these little towns and he goes to the synagogue and he preaches the gospel. And many of the Jews reject it. And he says, fine, we'll just go talk to the Gentiles. And the Gentiles from all over say, we believe. And the, the gospel just spreads all around the world. It goes all over the place. recognize our foolishness, recognize the power of the Spirit, the power of prayer, the life-changing message of the gospel, the worldwide reach of the gospel, and then recognize that this is not easy, the difficulty of this task. There is opposition. There's opposition all over the place, from within, from without, everywhere. And those are just the things that we see, not to mention the spiritual opposition, the spiritual warfare that's going on in the midst of this. And yet the gospel continues to go forward. I want us to remember all these things. I want us to remember this this key that we exist. We exist so that for the glory of God, by the power of God, by the power of God in the, through his spirit and through prayer, so that for the glory of God and by the power of God, we might take the life-changing good news of Jesus to the whole world. Grace Fellowship Church, we are a part of this. We are an extension of what was going on in the book of Acts. Jesus has called us and he says, I'm giving you my Holy Spirit. You will be clothed with power from on high. The power of God lives within us. And he says, now, take the message of the gospel. Be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. God uses foolish people for his glory. God uses small groups of people for his glory. I think God likes to do that. Because if God uses a small church with a foolish pastor to turn the world upside down, then who gets the glory? It's certainly not us. God alone would receive the glory for that. We would step back and say, I don't know how that happened, but God did something amazing. God delights to do that. God uses foolish people for his glory. He uses people filled with his spirit and yielded to him in prayer. The message of the gospel is a world-changing message, and we're part of changing the world. This is what we are a part of. Now, maybe you've gotten distracted I mean there's there's a thousand distractions in this world aren't there? I mean there's so many things that we can just get taken off guard with. And and good things. And you might be thinking about your job. That, that, that this this has become the drive and the focus of your life. And you forget to realize that it's not my job. What's what's my ultimate mission in this world? It's to be a witness for Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth, to change the world by helping people to see that they can be changed by The gospel. Uh, This is kind of part one of of these thoughts. And they're incomplete, I'll be totally honest with you. And and part two is going to come with just kind of the boots on the ground. What does this actually look like in our lives? We're talking about these big concepts. Okay, that's great, but I still have to change diapers. I still have to go to work. Uh, I, I still have to go to school. I still have things that I'm supposed to do. So, yeah, I want to be a part of all this, but what about all the things that are right in front of me? And so in two weeks, Pastor Henry's preaching next Sunday, and then in next week we'll try to answer some of those questions. I don't think I'll answer all of them, but we'll do our best. But here's what I want us to take from this. This is, in many ways, just a call to remember that we are a part of something great, that we are a part of the mission of The reason for which God created the world for His for His glory, and it's a call to prayer. This is I'm so I'm I'm thankful if you're here and you're not a member of Grace Fellowship Church and you're welcome to do this with us. But this is for for those of us that are members of this church. This is what I want us to do. I want us to pray. I want us to be devoted to prayer in these specific ways. We've got a a members meeting coming up um, in in April here, a couple weeks. And I just want us to devote devote two weeks to seeking the Lord, to praying, and then we'll gather together and see how he's leading us. Um, But here's where we start. It's on the bottom of your notes there. Um, To to begin by, by confessing and repenting. God's spirit is a holy spirit. And if we are not holy, then God's spirit will not be working in us. How do we understand the fullness of the spirit? Well, it begins when we're yielded to him. We need to confess and repent. Uh, is there something that's hindering us from walking in this this way of, of boldness, of walking um, yielded to God's Spirit, allowing Him to work through us, in individual lives or even as a church? I pray that God would reveal that to us. Is there something that's, that's hindering that? Is God's Spirit is a Holy Spirit that we would confess and repent. I want us to just say, I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the power of prayer. We forget those things. They feel fruitless to us. Prayer, just sitting around and talking, uh, does that really accomplish anything? We need to do something. Let's believe in the power of prayer. Let's believe that the Holy Spirit truly does indwell us and works through us and accomplishes amazing things. To just say that even on a daily basis, I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the power of prayer. I believe that God can do something. And then to ask God, how do you want to use our church for your glory? We've been here a year. Let's let's what, what does God have for us in the next year? God, how do you want to use us in the next year? When April 8th comes around again next year, what, what what do you want us to have accomplished for your name and for your glory? Ultimately, it's the discipling of all people, but are there practical things that God wants us to do to see that accomplished? Let's pray that God would unite our hearts. Pray with me for deacons and elders. I've got a few people in mind I'm going to talk to and say, will you be willing to take this task on? And yet I want it to be something that we're united together on, that we pray and God helps us to see who would be the leaders in this church. Let's pray for the nations of the world and of Louisville. We are a multicultural church. That's what I love about our church. And I think that we need to emphasize that, and I think in doing that we say, let's pray that God would draw the nations to himself and that he might use us in some certain specific way because of how he's made us, that we could do that. That we could be a part of that mission in the world of taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. The last thing on there might look like an incomplete sentence. It just says fast. <laughs> have you ever fasted for Grace Fellowship Church and asked God what would you have us to do and to be? Have you ever fasted for the city of Louisville? Now fast is typically thought of as, as not eating food. Well, a fast can be anything. I know there's some people that can't do that. That because of diet they need to eat regularly but there's other things that you can fast from fast from technology i think that might be harder than fasting from food sometimes right fast from the television fast from something and and it just says god I, I want to i want you to do this so much that i will neglect this this is not as important to me as seeing you do this work have you ever done that for our church When was the last time you actually literally got on your knees and ask God to do something great in Grace Fellowship Church. You ask God, what are you doing with our church? You ask God, let's save the people of Louisville. Save the people of, of this zip code. Save the people that live in, in Heather House. God, would you do something great? Now, this isn't like if we do one, two, three, four, five, six, three thousand 3,000 people are going to come to faith in Christ. That something amazing is going to happen. But I do believe that that if we yield ourselves to God, if our hearts are pure before him in confession and repentance, if we believe that he's the one doing the work, not us, if we are yielded to him in prayer, if we ask God, what do you want us to do? if we pray that God would structure our church in such a way that it's effective, and if we pray that God would bring all nations to himself, if we say, God, we want to hear from you this much, enough that we will that we will fast from these things, that we will withhold things from ourselves to say, God, we desire you this much, How could, I, I believe God would be pleased with that. And I believe that he would answer those prayers, that he would use us. Ultimately, changing the world isn't about a number. If we all did that, and we saw one person in the next year come to faith in Christ, if we saw God save one person because of the ministry of this church, that would be worth it all, wouldn't it? See one soul rescued for all eternity, and that would change the world. One person coming to faith in Christ. Uh, I think it's a good thought to say, Let's be world changers, but not for our own glory, but for the glory of God. I remember reading early on when we were going through our our readings, reading about the Tower of Babel, and they show up, and what do they say? The Tower of Babel, they come and they say, let's make a name for ourselves. And so they build this great tower so that they will look great. And what does God do? confuses their language. He scatters them, and what does he do? He makes a great name for himself. In contrast, David shows up, and David says, I want to build a house for God. And God comes to him, and he says, not right now, David. I appreciate that thought, but your son will do that, but I'm going to make a great name for you. And David says, God, I'm not worthy of that, but would your name be exalted? So if we desire to make a name for ourselves, you know what God's going to do? He's going to scatter us, and he'll make a name for himself. But if we desire to make a name for him, it may just be that he would exalt us. But even if he doesn't, he will make a name for himself. And if that's the cry of our hearts, then we will be satisfied.